Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Father, as we hear the preaching of your word, May our minds be focused and attentive. May our hearts be open, receptive, and hungry. And may our spirits be listening and discerning. We are here to hear from you. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Give someone a high five and you can have a seat today. We are continuing our series, Jesus and, and last week we started a series, Jesus and, or we started a series, kind of a series with within a series called Jesus in Scripture, where we are looking at the Bible. Because I think we forget Jesus lived by a book. We could say Jesus did what he did because he was Jesus, but actually Jesus was fulfilling what was ultimately written about him in Scripture. But Jesus lived his life by a book. And it's wild to me how many Christians think they can love Jesus but not the Bible. Like, like, like how we can want to have a relationship with Jesus and love Jesus and go to church, but the Bible becomes this redheaded stepchild thing, right? And if you are a redheaded stepchild here, that is, I don't know why I even said, said that. It's like we say stuff and we don't know why. But just, just kind of like put it to the side as if it's second best. When we forget, Jesus lived by a book. He lived by a Bible scholars say 10% of Jesus's recorded words were talking about the Bible or actually quoting the Bible from the Old Testament. So a lot of even what the gospel writers recorded was Jesus talking about the Bible, speaking the Bible, proclaiming the Bible. And so it is vital for us that as we are within this series where we're learning to live like Jesus, the reason why we're looking at Jesus, because he's the goal, like the thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing is Jesus, right? And so, we, and, and so we are looking at his life so we can say, how can we do what Jesus did? And, and, and so kind of the first thought that I've been kind of prefacing this whole series with is Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, and our example. Meaning, Lord, he is the Lord of our life. He rules over, or he should have rule over all places and parts of us. I've heard it said, if Jesus, does, if Jesus isn't Lord over all, he's not Lord at all. Okay? He's supposed to be Lord, but also, too, he's, he's our Savior. He lived the life we could not live. He lived a perfect life. He died the death we should have died in our place and for our sin. Like, he, he is our Savior. Like, we love the fact, aren't you glad that Jesus saves us from an eternity apart from him? When we put our faith and trust in him, that transactional act he did on the cross, when he said, it is finished, he was essentially saying, the debt, the, the, the gap that there was between you and God because of your willful sin has now been cleansed, has now been taken away, so we can now be declared righteous, be in right standing with God, meaning we don't have beef with God. When God looks at us, he doesn't see what we've done. He sees what Jesus did in our place and for us. He's our Lord, our Savior, but here's the part that I think we forget many times in church. He's our example. He's our example. He's the one that we're called to follow. So that's why we're in the series, Jesus and. We're looking at how Jesus handled certain things. Last week I talked about Jesus in Scripture part one. Today is part two. And I want to start off with this thought. Jesus learned, submitted to, obeyed, quoted, and taught the Scripture. Therefore, Jesus' followers are called to learn, submit to, obey, quote, and share the truth of Scripture as well. 
Like we, y'all, like we, my, my heart for our church is that we just would not love Jesus, but we would have a deep love and heart and passion for this book. That we would see it as truly as Jesus saw it, as the very words of God. Andrew Wilson said this when he was talking about the connection with Jesus in the scripture. He said this. He said, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him and have decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, then I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered and my answers or some of my answers remain unpopular. Do y'all get the heart there? Is that even our belief in Jesus isn't because of, or our belief in the Bible isn't just because we believe in Jesus. Because Jesus lived it and taught it and shared it, that's why we ultimately believe it. Because if Jesus confirmed it, lived it, that is why we want to take it seriously because Jesus did. So just a quick recap from last week to build on where we're going today, right? The, you know, Last week, I talked to you about we have to understand why there is a gap between what we know we should do and what we don't do. So I kind of talked to you about Taco Bell. I want to report I had no Taco Bell this week. I want to give God some praise. After 8 o'clock eating, which, which I, and just, you know, just like I shared last week, I got this desire to not eat after 8 o'clock. But I am an emotional eater. I want to eat my feelings away. So I'm having to get hardcore. So here is my plan. I'm going to give a friend $500. And I'm being serious. I'm, I'm going to get $500 cash, give it to my friend, a friend that I know will hold me accountable. If I eat after 8 o'clock some sort of like whack food like KFC or Taco Bell, something that I'm just eating my feelings away, he gets to keep the, five, the, the $500. Because let me tell you this. When I think about Taco Bell, it ain't worth $500. <laughs> it ain't worth 50 But I still go eat it. So I need some discipline. But when I have this desire without the action, I have to get down to why I don't follow through on the action. And when we talk about the word of God, there were kind of ingrained reasons, maybe unconscious or conscious of, of why we know we should, but we don't. And we had to get, get to the root of that. But also, too, we talked about how ultimately the Bible is not just information, it's revelation. That the Bible is not just a book facts about history, or it's not a textbook that tells us how to get an A in the class of God, the Bible is ultimately about revelation, revealed knowledge, telling us about a person. Here's the thing. The Bible is, is about God revealing himself, unveiling. And, and that word, revelation, in the scripture means to make bare. Like, just, just, just to let, it's all that I am, right? And, and so the Bible is about God revealing himself, his character, history, holiness, nature, plan, love, and purpose for the world and his people. And I saw this quote from C.S. From Lewis that I wanted to include today. This is what he says. We come to scripture not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. And y'all, that is, that is what ultimately I wanted to get across last week, that this book is not about info. This book is about learning the heart and character and love of God. It's about a person. Now, here's where we're going today, right? The Bible is God revealing himself. I don't know about you. Although the Bible is God revealing himself, there are typically filters that we interpret this revelation through. You might not think it, but you are a Bible interpreter. 
easily said, everybody is a, the- is a theologian. Theo simply means God, right? Logia means study of. So, so everybody in some way, shape, and form is studying God, and we are interpreters of this book. And we've got to understand, as God reveals himself, there will be a couple ways that we will respond to this revelation. And we have to go to this book and understand that when we go to this book and God starts revealing himself, we also bring to this this revelation and we, we bring with our interpretation a lot of baggage. Okay, Gordon, Gordon Fee, he wrote a book, it's called, and what I would say, like, honestly, if there's one book that I would give you that say, hey, John, what would help me help, to help to interpret the Bible in the best way that is actually readable and practical, this would be the book. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. It's awesome. But one of the things he points out in the very first chapter is he says this, we invariably bring to the text, the Bible, all that we are with all of our experiences, culture, and prior understandings of words and ideas. Sometimes what we bring to the text unintentionally, to be sure, leads us astray or else causes us to read all kinds of foreign ideas into the text. So this is something that you would actually be taught when you're actually studying the Bible in a Bible college or some sort of class online. They talk to you about these two words, Exegesis, eisegesis. It's two ways of interpreting the Bible. Because here's the thing. Everybody say this. I am a Bible interpreter. No matter how many degrees you have, no matter say I can't read, no matter like you ain't got an excuse. You are a Bible interpreter. And there are two main ideas of what they say we will do when we come to this revelation of God, how we will ultimately treat it. Exegesis is basically saying, I'm going to put all of my preconceived ideas, one, two truths, I'm going to put that at the door, and I'm going to try to get through as many filters as I can so I can get to the heart of what this book is actually saying. Or you're going to do the second thing, Eisegesis, which is essentially saying, I want this book to say that. So now I'm going to bring that to this revelation, and I'm going to find in this book how I can make what I want to be true, true. And some of y'all are so spiritual, you're like, yeah. But we all do it. We all, in some ways, want this book to be different than what it is. In many ways, we want this book to say things. I'm concerned about, like, you know, this book says things that you don't want it to say. And, and, and trust me, in this era of TikTok, Instagram, Christianity, online, you can find what you want anyone to say about this book. You can find it. Because people, instead of saying, I want to purely get to the heart of what this book is telling me. They will say, nope, I want this to be true. How can I make it happen? So instead of drawing out from the text, they read into the text. Do you know how dangerous this can be and how dangerous this has been in the name of Christianity? I just want to give you a couple examples, okay? And I've shared these before, but I think it merits telling them 
Again, number one is Thomas Jefferson created his own Bible. Wow, some of y'all are like, yeah, he going to hell. Brother created his own Bible. He really did, though. He actually, because he did not believe that Jesus was supernatural, he doesn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because he was so scientific-minded and he could not put together miracles with science, he literally took a knife and cut out of the Bible anything supernatural Jesus did. And he created what is called the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. He believed Jesus was a good teacher, but he did not believe Jesus was God and supernatural. I just want to let you know, you cannot be a Christian and only believe Jesus was a good teacher. Because what makes Jesus, Jesus, and what makes a Christian a Christian is believing Jesus was, is, and proved to be the very son of God. Not just a good teacher. Because if he was a good, he cannot be a good teacher. Because if you just believe he was a good teacher, some of the stuff he said, he was not a good teacher. He was crazy. A good teacher doesn't say the stuff he said. Only someone who knows they are God says the kind of stuff he said. But this is one example. And here's the thing. We can judge him all day. I can't believe Thomas Jefferson would make his own Bible. <sighs> Let's just be honest. We cut and paste. You got your own Bible, too. You're just not bold enough to cut it and print it. But if you are honest, you will consciously or subconsciously cut out the stuff in here you don't like because it makes, because of, of different things. You got to be careful of that, y'all. Secondly, this is something that I encountered back in 2019. This is called the Slave Bible. And I want to actually read something about this. So when, when I was at the Museum of the Bible, they had an exhibit on the fourth floor that, you know, and kind of each year or each quarter they have a specific exhibit that, that kind of shows a different version or translation of the Bible. And this one just, just broke my heart. I took this off of the Museum of the Bible website that talked about this specifically. This is what it says. It says, an abridged version of the Bible, which became known as the Slave Bible, was published in London in 1807 and used by some British missionaries to convert and educate enslaved Africans about Christianity while instilling obedience and preserving their system of slavery throughout the colonies. British colonists created the Slave Bible by removing sections, and in some cases, entire books from the Bible out of fear that the full Bible would promote rebellion among the slaves or offer hope for a better life. The story of the, uh, of the exodus from Egypt and the book of Revelation were stripped, from the, were, were stripped from this truncated version of the Bible. The results were drastic. A typical Protestant edition of the Bible contains 66 book, books. A Roman Catholic version has 73 books. And then Eastern Orthodox translation contains 78 books. By comparison, the astoundingly reduced slave Bible contained only parts of 14 books. The slave Bible was used to push a specific message to enslaved people, but this important effect raises questions about much more than just this moment in history of human enslavement and Christian missions. It raises questions about how we understand and use the Bible today. 
what in God's name is wrong with people? That they can take this book. I mean, doesn't that just break your heart? It's angering. Like, I want to be like Jesus in the temple, start flipping tables, jump kicking people, bicycle kicking people. Like, I just... But this is what happens when we go to the Bible and say, we want it to say what we want it to say. Instead of what is the actual message? And if we are not careful, we can look at these two examples and be like, oh my God, I can't believe they would do that. And we would actually do the same thing. And so I think it's so important to us, even before, like, that we understand the biases that we will have or the attempts to control and have power over it, that we have to recognize this as we are coming to this book, is we have to make sure, here's the thing, in order to rightly interpret the Bible, God's revelation, it is vital that we become aware of our ingrained and cultivated thoughts, feelings, ideas, and subjective truths. There's a difference between subjective truth and objective truth. Subjective truth is I think it's true because I believe it's true. Objective truth means it's true even if it doesn't matter what you feel. You know, gravity doesn't care if you're black, white, rich, poor. Gravity's gravity. <laughs> it's called a law of nature. And that is an objective truth. And we live in a culture and time of where subjective truth, unfortunately, is overcoming Objective truth. So how I think and feel, even if you talk against how I think or feel, well, you're coming against, you know, and so, so we, this is why it's even more important that we realize that we are not dealing with something where we're bringing our subjective truths and wanting to overtake the objective truth. We are laying down our subjective truths, saying, I'm going to lay down my subjective truths and submit them to this objective truth known as God's word. We have, if we're going to rightly interpret and know God's revelation, God's heart for us, we have to realize we have proclivities. We have things that we want to be true, that the culture tells us are true. And there is going to be a time where it is going to come against the Bible and you will have to make a choice. It's so important you know your biases because you've got them. It's because maybe you feel a certain way. It's because you know people that are a certain way. And if we don't deal with those, then you will bring your ideas to the text rather than being a student of the text and being taught by it. It's crazy we do this not only with the Bible, we do this with Jesus, y'all. Let's just be honest. We have, a, we have a Jesus that we want Jesus to be, like, we have an idea of Jesus that we want to be true. This is one that I know, y'all. Like, all, everyone loves flipping table Jesus. Everybody loves flipping table Jesus. Because when... Whenever you get mad, that's your justification for cussing and being mad and being angry. Well, Jesus flipped tables. Yes, he did, but it was because of systematic injustice. <laughs> it's not because your kids spilled their cereal. Right, but, you know, I thought this was funny. You know, it says, if anyone asks you, what would Jesus do? Remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realms of possibilities. <laughs> right? But it's like we can talk about flipping table Jesus, but do we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus? 
It can't be either or. It's got to be both and. Because if you come with, well, I want this part of Jesus to be true, and you don't look outside just the, the part of Jesus you want to be true and see the holistic Jesus, then you'll create a Jesus more in your image than a Jesus that is actually his image. We, we do this, right? We love the Jesus that is grace. He went to the woman that was caught in adultery and was so kind for her. Who condemns you? No one condemns you. Like, we love that Jesus, and Jesus is full of grace. Yes, he is, but also, too, he told her, go and sin no more. He told her some truth. And, he, and, and, and then, too, we could even have lamb Jesus, right? Nice pet. Why is Jesus so associated with lambs? You know, like, I know he's a shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd. But you don't hear any stuff about him taking sheeps and hugging them. You know what I'm saying? It's just, but we've created this image that Jesus is this. But also remember, he's called the lion. Jesus is the lamb and the lion, the lion and the lamb. Meaning, yes, he was a sacrificial lamb, but he's going to be the lion that's going to come roaring back whenever the father tells him, tells him to and is going to be large and in charge. So, but what I'm saying when I'm saying this, we have to switch our thinking. If we're going to get this book right, we have to stop either or thinking and start thinking in terms of both and. Because if we don't, then we will have our side without looking at the holistic view of who God is, of who Jesus is, and of what the Bible actually says. I want to give you four both ands in 20 minutes by God's grace. Miracles happen, okay? I don't know if it's going to happen today, but we'll see. But both and. Everyone say both and. Both and. Because if you don't think both and, you're going to let your proclivity and what you want Jesus or the Bible to be, be the main thing. And, and, and y'all, that is... You are not going to rightly interpret this book that way. So four both ands about the Bible that we need to dive into. First off, the Bible is both human and divine. Human and divine. I do not understand. Okay, all right, all right first off, let me just kind of get these. Scripture says, says this about Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, right? It says all Scripture is God-breathed. That means inspired. So, 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 so ultimately, God is the author. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 21 says this. For prophecy, the words of God, never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, everyone say human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see the partnership. Human, yet carried along by the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that I know this book is true is it's so human. I mean, the stories in this book, and it don't take many chapters to get in and be like, Noah slept with who? Noah drank what? Hold up, Abraham? God told him he was going to have a kid, but his wife couldn't have one, and his wife told him, hey, go and sleep with her. Maybe you can have a kid with her. What? Like, what kind of... I thought this was God's wife. It's wild, the, the humanness of this book. And that this book is not dressed up and pretty and perfect and, and kind of like everybody, all of its heroes have no flaws and all of its is just all good and happy. And No, it's like you go into this book and you see the full range of human experience and human emotion. All over the place, high as highs, low as lows. Even the authors of this book, Pete Scazzaro says this, the Bible does not spin 
the flaws and weaknesses of its heroes. Moses was a murderer. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Peter rebuked God. Noah got drunk. Jonah was a racist. Jacob was a liar. John Mark deserted Paul. Elijah burned out. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Thomas doubted. Moses had a temper. Timothy had ulcers. <laughs> and all these people send the same message that every human being on earth, regardless of their gifts, strengths, is weak, vo- valuable, and dependent on God and others. So we can, we can see that, that, that like one of the things of this book, even about its authors, is God will use the humanity of people to promote his divinity. I do not understand why God chooses to use people, because stuff gets done in so much more time. And you know this is true. Like whenever you have children and you try to include them in cleaning the house, add an extra 90 minutes. It's true. You're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to make things happen fast. If you want something to go slow, get more people involved. But this is the way, inevitably, that we see throughout Scripture, God chooses to work. And that we see within the Bible that it is full of humanity, yet full of divinity. People wrote it as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But God, in his divinity, did not throw away people's humanity. He actually used it. And I'm telling you, in your life, in our life, not just talking about the Bible, but in your life, you will be full of humanity and full of divinity. Good, good, and bad, bad. Like, I'm amazed at myself how I can go from righteous to ratchet in the span of three seconds. Come on, y'all know it. Those of y'all who real, y'all can go from righteous to ratchet. Just like David in in, in the Psalms, one moment, God is the strength of my life forever. The next moment, I hope you kill this person, God. I hope you break his teeth, rip his teeth out from the bones. Get it, break his bones. And then the next part of the chapter, but he's the strength of my life forever. I am not. That's Michael Jackson. That was not the song we sang. <laughs> what, song did, what song did we sing? Hallelujah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> A little mix up there on, on the worship. But what I love, <laughs> well, I'm never going to live that one down. What, what I love is that God isn't afraid of our humanity. He welcomes, you know, that's, but that's what makes Jesus so powerful. Is, is he says that, that let us, is, is that because we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us. He, he knows where we've been and he knows the feelings we have. We, have, we serve a Jesus that was fully human, yet fully divine. And, and what I just feel like I need to say is, is some of you here, God chooses to work through broken vessels. And the more brokenness you have, the more God's able to use you. Some, some of you, the reason why you feel so broken is because the Lord is getting ready to use you in a mighty way. Do you realize even the five loaves and two fish, the miracle didn't happen until the bread was broken? Brokenness, I believe, is always a prerequisite to God using us. Here's the thing, God will choose to use you while he is sanctifying you. I mean, honestly, y'all, we are all in progress. But some of you are waiting to be perfect before God uses you. 
And let me just, just tell you, God will use you while he's sanctifying you. And, and even while you're being sanctified and you do stupid stuff, you, you say stupid things, you know one of the most powerful things you can do as an example of following Jesus is to say you're sorry whenever you mess up. If, if you're at work and you're there and you're trying to have a good testimony and 14 seconds into the day you let the F word slip, do you, know, do you know what is something powerful you can say if there's somebody there? You know, just say, hey, I, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to, I know, I'm, I'm trying to speak more pure. I'm trying to speak more godly. I apologize. It's not a good example. Do you know how much more respect that gives and how much more that is a godly example of being able to humble yourself and say, hey, I'm sorry. The example that I just said wasn't good. Do you know how, how humbling it can be to apologize to your children? Do you know, some of you think you need to be perfect for your children. They don't need a fully divine example. They need fully divine and fully human. They need to see your humanness. But when they experience it, especially in a not godly way, don't be afraid to speak up and say, you know, the way I talked to you, the way I treated you, I am so sorry. That was not God honoring. Because they even need to see that it's okay to apologize. That, that it's okay not, that it's okay to be weak, that it's okay to admit you're wrong. Even in your wrong, you can show that it's okay to apologize. But I just feel like this, this book is full of humanity and full of divinity. But this is one of the reasons I believe it's true is, is, is because we just don't read it. It reads us. The Bible does, did not just happen. It happened. And so as we get into this book, we see, man, this, stuff, this, this is full of so much humanity and so much divinity. But in order for us to fully grasp it and get it, we have to understand it's both and. Okay, secondly, the Bible is both timeless and timely. My God, if we have ever needed a firm foundation in this, in this generation, an objective truth outside of us to build our lives and our beliefs on, it is this book. Is this book the word of God? Yes. Have people taken it and used it for demonic things as we just saw? Yes. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Isaiah 48 says this, it says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. This book is timeless. This book is not archaic. This is not, well, you know, there's some people back there, they were crazy and old, but we've just evolved so much now that things are so much better. Really? C.S. Lewis called that chronological snobbery, where we can say, well, we've just evolved. <laughs> We're so much better. And it's like the story in the garden is still happening. People are still choosing what they want to do over what God wants to do. Satan is still using the same temptation, still questioning God's word, still saying, well, if you eat this tree, then you'll be like God. He's questioning identity. He's, he is still doing the same thing. This book is timeless, but it's also timely, meaning it is not just in, it, it, it's a book that will be timeless, but it speaks to us right here, right now in this moment of history. Even the word history is his story. His story. It is so important in this time period in history. I mean, this time period in history, like what is the narrative? Create your own story. Create your own story. Create it. Be a creator. And there's nothing wrong with being a creator and creating stuff. But we just aren't trying to create content. We are trying to create identities. We are trying to create existences. I don't know if, that, if that's a word. Like we're trying to create why we are here. What a burden for created people to try to be a creator and play a part that we were never meant to play. Here's the thing. In, in, instead of trying to create our story, let's find ourselves in God's story. 
That, that is what ultimately, this book is ultimately a story of, of God. It is not just revelation, divine revelation of a person, but it's a divine revelation of how this person has worked in and throughout and will work in history. So many people are trying to create their purpose. Just find your story in God's story. Did you know the book, what's it called, Acts, right, which is, the, which is the history of the very early church, never actually had a conclusion? Acts chapter 28. It, it just kind of just like ended basically saying, okay, your turn. Because the story of the church is still being written. We are Acts 29. We get the opportunity to actually keep on progressing and building and saying we have a moment in history and time to make a mark for the kingdom of God in the church. And my encouragement is the Bible is timeless and timely. It's not some archaic book. It meets us right where we are right now. Here's the, here's, here's the thing. How, how do we actually know this, right? Because we are Adam and Eve. Their story is our story. Abraham, his story is our story. David, his story is our story. The Israelites, my God, their story is our story. Wandering 40 years in something that should have taken them four days. The disciples, their story is our story. The early church, their story is our story. This was written so we could look back and be like, let's maybe not do some of the dumb stuff they did. Right? I love this. This is right, 1 Corinthians 10. I actually just went and took a picture of this. came from my iPad. The Bible. I love the top warnings from Israel's history. I just love it. He's like, hey, y'all go ahead and learn something. Because wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes. I tell my son this so many times. I'm like, Jackson, please don't learn yourself. Learn from other people's stupidity. That's wisdom. And that's what the Bible's doing here. This, this is what it says. It says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses, into the cloud, and in the sea. They all ate and drank the same spiritual food, the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered throughout the wilderness. Okay, Paul. Well, thank you for that lovely, lovely testimony here. But this is now these things occurred as examples. Everyone say examples. To keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them did. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, Jesus, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angels. See, just light stuff on this Sunday. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as what? Warnings for us. Do y'all see that? And we would be wise to pay attention, right? And what I'm trying to paint here is the picture of this book is not just, oh, that was for the Israelites. I love how he points out they freaking saw miracles. Like, hey, they passed through the sea. There was water on both sides, and they walked right through it. And though they saw a miracle, it did not translate to a transformed life. And he's just like, y'all, look, y'all got to be careful. So we can take these as warnings. The Bible's time is coming. I, I got to hurry, all right? We're, um, next, the Bible is both general and specific. The Bible is both general and specific. And by this, I mean this. There are some things in Scripture that are clear commands. But there are some things in Scripture that aren't that clear. 
There's some things in Scripture that are like, you know, I don't know if it says anything specifically about that. And though there might not be a clear command, there might be a general principle. Because there are some things that the Bible doesn't speak specifically to. And a couple things can happen whenever the Bible, when, whenever the Bible, the Bible maybe isn't 100% clear about something, right? Then we try to create commands that turn into legalism. And some of you have been in churches like this, where to keep you from doing a clear command, they will create a non-biblical command, but talk like it's the Bible, to keep you from doing the clear command. The Pharisees did it. That's why Jesus said, you put all this weight on people's backs. And you, like, you, basically, you're creating laws on top of the laws to keep them from, not, from breaking the law. They actually called this fencing, where it's to get you away from breaking the clear command. So let's just say, don't have sex before you're married, right? They'd be like, can't even hold hands. Boys and girls on opposite sidewalks. Y'all think I'm crazy. This was some Bible colleges back in the 80s. <laughs> right? So they will take non-biblical commands, put them on top of the Bible to keep you from breaking what is clearly not commanded in the Bible, or that is clearly commanded not to do in the Bible. Does that make sense? So then we create legalism. So then we create all these laws that ain't in the Bible, and then it's, 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 it's you know, like a couple of my absolute favorite, right, like of my favorite ones, right? Drinking alcohol. I grew up in a church, or I worked at a church that was like, it's sin, man. Can't do it. I'm like, I don't see that in the Bible. Didn't Jesus turn water into wine? And they say, no, it was grape juice. I'm like, there was, there's a word for grape juice in the Greek. It's not that one. <laughs> right? There are some things in Scripture that are clear, like don't get hammered. Don't, don't get hammered. Like, like, like be sober-minded. Like be at, be at a point and place where you are able to practice what the Holy Spirit's fruit is, self-control. Right? Some of y'all talk, you know, that this is one, you know, that I had to smoke weed. Every, every person that loves weed knows two Bible verses. <laughs> God gave us every seed-bearing plant for our enjoyment. <laughs> they go back to Genesis. <laughs> and don't judge me. <laughs> it's like the, the top two. And here's the thing, right? We could get into and we could pick hairs and the Bible doesn't specifically say anything about smoking weed and, you know, it's just like, you know, it's, in, and it's, it's like, so, so there, I'm, and what I'm saying is there's just some things generally that the Bible doesn't speak clearly on, but though it's not clear, there can be a general principle to help us govern whether it's godly, okay, that we can apply to a lot of different things. So I think there's five questions to ask when you don't know what to do. Like if something in the Bible is not clear. Number one, is it wise? Some stuff isn't sin, it's just stupid. You know what I, I've really garnered is that like info and science doesn't matter. Like people can know if you smoke, it, you're probably going to die earlier. 
and this is not killing anybody that smokes, because what, what gets me mad is when you have church people that get on people that smoke and they go home and drink Coke. Like, they're, they're both just, like, sugar is literally killing more people in the United States than anything. But, but, but it's, it's, it's like, is it wise? Because we always, what is, what is it right or wrong? You know, maybe. But is it wise? Secondly, is it loving? Right? Because even Paul, this is what's, what's crazy. There were some things that Paul said he would not do, that he had the right to do, but he would not do it because it would not love others well. And he said, I'm always going to put my love for somebody else before a right I have to do. And this is where, you know what, drinking could, could kind of come up and be like, you know, maybe it's not wrong, but maybe it's not wise or loving. Because one of the things that Paul said, he's like, I'm not going to eat. Because one of the things back in their day was food sacrifice to gods, different gods. Paul's like, I know who the real God is. I don't care if that steak sacrificed to Baal. I know, this, I know Baal ain't provide that steak. I know who God is. I'm going to take this steak and eat it. But then he said, but you know what? They don't know. They don't, the people that are doing this, they don't know what I know. So he said, I'm not going to eat that steak because I don't want them to think I'm worshiping the God Baal. So you have to ask, is it loving? Is it loving to those around me? Would it actually hurt some other people? And, and, and the next, is it helpful for my testimony? What's this going to communicate to others about who God is? Right? Do you see how questions are better than straight commands? Because we normally, just tell me what I can do and can't do. But a question can really help clarify our heart. Right? Next, is it going to positively or negatively affect others? Lastly, though, is it mastering me? Because some people say, I can drink whenever I want. Yeah, but can you give it up? Can you not do that when, whenever you need to take the edge off? When you need to just mellow out, you end up having drinks to, to, to even get you through stressful situations? Just, just a drink? But it could just not be, be drinking. It, it could be food, right? Like you have, you have to ask, like, is it mastering you? Like, can you say no to it? And if you can't say no to it, then you have to ask, is, is it, though it might not be a clear command in the Bible, but is it gotten to a point where I am actually to the point where I can't say no and this has actually mastered me? Paul, Paul said this, everything, is, everything can be permissible, but not everything is beneficial. All right, Christian, you can go ahead and come on up, brother. We've got to land this plane, baby. It's 10.23. For both ends, first off, the Bible is both human and divine. Secondly, it's timeless and timely. Third, it's general and, and specific. But fourthly, I'm going to conclude today by saying, fourthly, the, the Bible is both a burden and a blessing. Now, I know some are like, the Bible is a burden? How dare thou say thee that about thy God's word? Let me, let me just remind you, everything that is a blessing has a burden side to it. Seriously, the greatest things in your life have a blessing and a burden side to it. Kids, need I say more? Your greatest blessings. I, I, you, know, you know, I tell my kids, I would not give you away for literally all the money in the world. And it's true. 99%, I'm just kidding. 
But there, there's a blessing side with them, and there's a burden side. Even your job. Some of you love your job. It's a blessing. You get paid well. It, you know, it's like you love the people you work with, but you know there's a blessing, but there's also a burden to it. Some of you have a really big house, and you're like, hey, I have a big house. It's, it's great. Love it. You know, It's a blessing, but then you have to clean it. Then you have to mow the yard, and then you have to do landscape, right? So there's blessing and burden. Even, even a, a calling, like I love what I get to do. I love the blessing of being able to lead a church and be a pastor, but there is such a burden side that I can't describe that I had no idea until I became a lead pastor because I was just a, a youth pastor. And I did not know the struggles of leading a church. And when you get into it, you are like, oh, wow. One time I heard this pastor tell, tell this story. He was doing cross, CrossFit. And he said normally his class that he was in like, he was always, like, sixth or seventh in kind of the kind of workout of the day they were going. But he said this one particular day, he was killing it. He was like, I was whooping all the tails. Like, I was, like, going through the push-ups, the pull-ups and stuff like that. He said he got done first and was all, like, getting his water and stuff like that. I was like, yo, I did good today. He said the other people got back. They took their shirts off, and they had a 40-pound vest on <laughs> under their shirt that he had no idea they had on. And he said, this is what ministry burden can feel like. Is that sometimes we don't understand the, the burden, right? Some of y'all, we can, we can just, just see the blessing of what our church gets to do and be a part of, but there's also a burden piece to it. But it's true in your life. Anything that is a blessing is also has a burden. You think of what Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. What was he saying? following me isn't just going to be a life of blessing. It's actually going to be a life of death. Anyone, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, that's why we have to be clear about what it means to follow Jesus. That it is not a get out of hell free card only. It is not just, like, it is going to put you down the path of you not just losing yourself, but dying to yourself. Because in that death, the real you, the, the God-filled part of you gets to resurrect a one that is full of selfless love. So when I say the Bible is a burden and a blessing, I'm not, I don't, not all burdens are bad. And actually a burden in some ways makes you stronger because the way you get stronger is you carry heavy weight. But here's the thing, the blessing and the burden are all in how you ultimately view this book. Because here's the thing, even as a, a teenager, right? Like I did not view my parents' words as blessings viewed them as burdens, right? Like, I don't know about you. I grew up in a home. I couldn't eat Lucky Charms. My mom was so spiritual. My kids not having Lucky Charms because of the leprechaun on the box. Yeah. I could not eat Count Dracula because it's a vampire. Could not watch Care Bears because there was some hypnotic. But do you know where she, she got all that because of bad bad teaching so she, but I think it was, was with a good heart because she uh, she apologized to me later before she passed she was like I'm sorry John you should have had lucky John I was like I know mom I was 13 years old before I tasted that marshmallow goodness but 
but some of the things that she told me that was an absolute burden, you know, John, you're not going to parties, you know, stuff like this. And I was like, oh, you know, but it's like now I look at it, I look at it as a blessing. And many of you will receive the words of this book as a burden. You will. Because it's pushing against your selfish nature. It's pushing against what you want to be true. It's pushing against your proclivities. It's pushing against your biases. And what I'm saying is, is that you have to be ready for that. But you also have to know in that burden, it's actually a blessing. Because God wants what is best for you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. There are two ways of looking at getting pierced with a sword. Let's, let's just be honest. You, one way is I'm being pierced and it's cutting me and stabbing me or it's preparing me for surgery. And what ultimately this book does is it will feel like it is slicing you up. Because when you read this book, it, no, you don't just read it, it reads you. It reads your mail. It gets down to the innermost parts of you. And it will feel like you're being cut, but no, it's not stabbing you to harm you. It's cutting you open to heal you and do surgery. So my heart is that as we come to this revelation that daily on sun, Sundays, as we come to this book, the, this, the, this revelation of God revealing himself, that our heart, our response to God's revelation is we would consider our biases, consider the ways we do either or thinking, that we are aware of the ways we want to push back, the filters that we will potentially view it through, maybe the potential ways that we will come and put on this book what we want it to stay, instead of being in a posture of reception and receiving what it actually says, is that when we, hit, when we, are, when we encounter this revelation, that our heart would be then this, obedience. That we would respond. You know, every Sunday, whenever we, at the very end of preaching, the very end of the service, I normally say something like, well, we're gonna now respond to God's word. God's word requires a response. My heart is that, it's okay, you heard a great sermon, have a great day, God loves you, go in peace. That we would honestly be in this posture saying, what have we heard, now what are we called to do? What is called to change in my life? Because scripture says, it's James 1, he says that we can actually go to the word of God and hear it, but we do not actually do what it says. This is what it says. It says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. We live in a culture where we have, where we are simply this, educated beyond our obedience. We know more than we do. And my heart is that as we hear God's word every Sunday, that our reception, that our response to revelation is then what am not just, oh, great, now I got a little more inf information. No, what am I now called to do? And we create space for you to do business with God. And that's what we want to do. Seriously, the greatest, most needed response to God's revelation is obedience. Because some of you are waiting to understand, to obey, without realizing the only way you'll understand is if you obey. Because the only way you'll see God's way is being the best way is when you actually walk in it. And so right now, I just want to invite us to respond to God's word. Would you stand up with me?
Was that somewhat helpful? Helpful today? We're kind of creating this picture, getting our hearts prepared, because my heart is to, to equip you and prepare you, even when, for when you're not in this room. That when you're maybe on, you got a few minutes before work, and you pull out your phone, and you're like, could I scroll TikTok or get on the Bible app? Get on that Bible app. Let God reveal to you himself, his heart, his character, his nature, his plan. My heart is that our church would not just love Jesus and want him to be Lord, but, but would love this book in the same way Jesus did, that it would be on our lips the way that it was on Jesus' lips, that we would share it the way that Jesus shared it, that we would receive it the way Jesus received it, that we would submit to it the way Jesus submitted to it. And as we do that, that we will see, yes, it might be it's at times a burden, but ultimately it's put in our lives to be a blessing to us, to be a blessing to us. Would you just right now pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Lord, we just right now, Lord, um, prepare ourselves to respond to God's word. Know that there are many people here, Lord, that Lord, need a touch from you. And Lord, we, we thank you that you are here and present by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for what we heard today. But I pray even right now, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring to people's memories and heart and spirit, God, the, the biases they might have when they come to this book. Or maybe the ways that they have done this whole like either or thinking instead of saying, okay, how do I see both sides? Lord, we thank you that when we break open the Bible and we hear it on Sundays or we break it open throughout the week, God, Lord, we say we want to hear your voice. We've got your voice clearly here. That your Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. Lord, I pray that you'd cultivate a hunger in each heart. Lord, a desire not to just know you, a desire, Lord, to, to know about you to see how you've worked, to see how faithful you've been, to see how good you've been. Lord, we just ask right now that as we transition into a time of responding to God's word, I ask that you'd speak to each heart, mind, and spirit here. With every about, every eye closed, maybe your response today needs to be, you know what, I, I need to get my life right with Jesus. Maybe your response today, you have something burdening your heart. I'm, I'm just gonna ask prayer teams, if right now you would just line up and set up get into place. One of the main ways we ask you to respond each week to God's word is we have people available for you to pray with. We have people available for you to share with. We have people available to lead you to the Lord. We have people available that have been thinking about you and praying for you. And if you have a burden that, that you want to bring, they would love to pray with you. And so today in responding to God's word, maybe today you need to come up and share, you know what? I need to follow Jesus today. Maybe you grew up in church, but you know you don't, you, you have knowledge of God, but you don't have a relationship with him. And today you need to begin a relationship. I wanna invite you as we sing today to come up and see one of our prayer partners and have them pray with you and they will lead you to the Lord. Maybe you have a burden today that you need to lay down. I wanna invite you to come to bring that burden today to one of our prayer, our prayer partners and lay it down. But let's take some time today and respond to God's word and literally ask what is my next step we're not just what I'm thankful for what I hear but what do I need to do today to put Jesus first and to put his word 
first. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.